question. And rather than me screw it up, I'm going to let him begin his process of uh, sharing with us what he will. I will not be a. I'm an addict, dumb Bill. And uh, you're all here to learn about outreach, right? I would hope so because uh, it's something. I'm going to share a little bit about uh, how I got involved in what I call outreach. Uh, the first outreach guidelines ever written were written in the area I'm from. And uh, it's because we come from an area in Pennsylvania. Uh, which uh, geographically was a large area. We belonged to a region, mid-Atlantic region, that was from, uh, let's just say, Virginia Beach to uh, Maine. And we had a lot of outreach work to do back then in the early, in the early 80s. I got clean in 1979. I've been clean ever since. Never had to relapse. Uh, and anybody drive 200 miles to get to a meeting today? Okay. Anyone learned about the tool of the of, of, of the cell phone? <laughs> well, I'm asking you this here because uh, uh, I'm going to have Brian share about two minutes right now about the use of the cell phone on outreach for him and his friend. He's from Virginia, western central Virginia. And uh, we have another friend, John, from Missouri. All right? Because this is a new tool that we're utilizing in outreaching the addicts, okay? And I want Brian to share a little bit about that and how it's helping him in his recovery. Thank you. I'm Brian. I'm an addict. Brian. Where I live, Narcotics Anonymous, as I know it, does not exist. When I first started going to meetings regularly where I live now, the rooms were fairly well full. But when when groups do not use the 12 traditions non-negotiably to the 12s, they die a natural death. And today, there's three or four people in any one of the meetings in the area where I went, and some of them have gone dark. Uh, so I have to have this. I carry it with me all the time. I got one of those little Bluetooth. And when I'm painting or when I'm cleaning, the phone rings. If it don't ring, I'm calling people. I have to have a network of people that understand me. You see, if I didn't have this, I would be completely and totally isolated. I mean, I am an addict in isolation, totally. Because the people where I'm at, they don't like me because I speak the truth. So they, they don't want to talk to me. That I do not have what they want. They want candy-coated crap. And I'm sorry when you wash the candy off, all you got's crap. And crap kills me because it's what got me a seat in these rooms. So anyway, I've had to, to, to dig deep. And I've had to travel two, 301 miles to get here, and I'm leaving to go take care of my mother with cancer when I leave here in about three hours. So I've been here a total of 12 hours, and I'm going back home. But you see, I had to go as far as I could go to get recovery. That's as far as I went to get loaded, which was 300 miles to get a bag of dope, When you? I have to reach out as far as I can reach. I have met people and met people and met people and gone all over the United States meeting people so that I can put them in here because the last time I didn't have this phone and I stopped using the meetings where I was going because they didn't have, I didn't have what they wanted. I didn't go to meetings and I didn't fellowship and I spiritually suffered because I regressed to the animalist. I didn't use no dope, but I used every other thing that you can think of. I was stealing things off my job. I was doing all this stuff because I didn't have any eyes and ears telling me, what is up with this? You can't, no, man. 
But you see, now I've got a tool that if I can't make meetings up there, I've got to have this tool. It's, it's immeasurable of the value of this cell phone on what it can get me because I call people all over the United States and talk to them about it. I, I don't hold stuff back today because I'm not going to regress uh, uh, spiritually again. I can't. I cannot afford to do that. All right, let's get real. I'm not willing to afford that. So if I didn't have this phone, people, I would be one miserable and probably half dead because I'd be stealing off the job, and I have my own business. I'd be in people's houses stealing off of them. You can't do that and own a business, you know. My, my sponsor's in Pennsylvania, you know, and, and I got people in California that I cleaned up with many years ago. I have to have them here because we're of like mind. If... If somebody doesn't, if I don't have what somebody wants, they're, I, I'm not good to them. They don't want what I, they don't want it. I have to go to people that want what I got. You know, and I'm crazy as a loon, but these people know that what I got in my heart for Narcotics Anonymous, I'll, I would die for this program <laughs> because it saved my life. I have to have this telephone. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Uh, well, I have Brian share about that there, okay, because he's, he's what outreach is about, the article out there in isolation. And our job basically to me is to reach out and carry the message of hope and promise of freedom. You know, it, uh, that recovery is possible no matter where we're at. Uh, Brian also didn't sit and share about what I'm going to share a little bit about. Brian is in the meeting every Monday night now in town, Pennsylvania, because of that cell phone. Him and John from Missouri, they they call in, and we have uh, they they participate in the studying. We we uh, start, we we're a historical perspective type meeting, and we study old documentation, Narcotics Anonymous, and we when people say we go to those that came before us, we're going to those that came before us who wrote our basic text. A lot of them members are no longer alive, like Greg Pierce, who was my sponsor, uh, Jimmy Kay, who was my, my grand sponsor, uh, are no longer with us. So we go here and we, 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 we study their writings. We study their participation in our lives. And uh, we want to learn about where we came from. And in this here is, is the great book uh, of Narcotics Anonymous, a pre-publication draft of our basic text. Uh, it was printed and sent to all NA groups to review and input by NA members, Memphis, Tennessee, 1981 draft. And we studied that, their book, in, 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 in this group. And they get to study that book, and they get to hear uh, different things, and it shows how we did things back then, review and input. It's going to sound a little bit like history, but history is outreach to me, uh, where you could actually go into here and participate. And you go in this book here, which this book is all has numbers in it. There's numbers along here, page number, you go in there and you could actually write your input, what you thought should be changed, you could input your, your, your information. And, and that's where outreach started for me, was actually through the literature movement of the late 70s and early 80s. People start touching my lives. Uh, you know, and, uh, well I hand you this here, this is a piece of history, I, I gave you this here. A piece of history is it's an early white book. All right? When they say hip pocket recovery is one of the books we were talking about, we put in our back pocket, we take it with us, we can read it. You know, it's real simple. You put it in your back pocket, you go to work, and you pull it out, and you can read the thing. And I don't care if you have a problem with the cover. You turn it around and make sure no one can see what's on it because it's white on both sides. Okay? No one will see the front that way. You keep the front inside. You know, if you can't show people it says NA on it, just flip it around and restaple it. And you got peace, you got peace and carry wherever you're at. And that's what we were taught. And why I want to make an emphasis on the cell phone today, because back then, the emphasis was made on a telephone to pick up that 100-pound weight. All right? And that's what we were told. You pick up that 100-pound weight, and you communicate with another addict in recovery. Uh, and who I communicated with was the people that were writing our basic text, the people that were involved in writing of our book. Uh, and I put a lot of stuff up here. And these are basically, you can see uh, they're old pamphlets and old, uh, 
IPs that were put out for review and input. And you can go on a web page called nahelp.org. Real simple, nahelp.org. You can download all this stuff onto your computer and print it on your computer. This stuff that I have up here. Everything is there. Even this book is there. This book is on there. You can download it. I mean, you won't get the cover the way it is here, but uh, you won't get the binding. You have to go to a Staples or an Office Depot or any other type of, uh, you know, business operator like that there, and they can do this same thing for you like, like we do in our home group. I mean, we, on here it tells you our home group reprints this book for historical purposes. You know, and, uh, and it's part of our outreach efforts to educate addicts wherever we go. Everything I do is about educating addicts about what narcotics anonymous is, how it can be the greatest support network in the world for their recovery. Because that's what this is about. It's about recovery. Forrest and I just talked about that there up in our room about recovery. We're recovering addicts. You know, and, uh, and that's what we're going out there to let people know they can also receive this recovery, no matter where they're at, how they're isolated. And in the early, the late 70s, early 80s, narcotics anonymous was very small outside of California. Uh, the second oldest fellowship is probably in Pennsylvania. Uh, it started in the, in the early 70s. And then uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, you know, around Marietta areas where Narcotics Anonymous, these places started to, Narcotics Anonymous started to form. And I was lucky to walk in Narcotics Anonymous when I did because I feel I have a knowledge and experience of what it is like to participate in how to out outreach to the world. There, was, there wasn't Narcotics Anonymous around the world, as we said there, it was a worldwide fellowship. It was a, a United States, basically Southern California fellowship. And I say Southern California fellowship when I came in. It's very small. Uh, and anybody with, say, over uh, 25 years remembers a smaller type fellowship. Even when you got 18 years, I think you can remember a smaller fellowship. Uh, at least then we were even starting to grow a lot more. We were getting other states. We're in Kentucky. We were in Indiana. We were in, you know, up in Illinois. We were in Michigan. Uh, Ohio was a large fellowship by then. Uh, you know, and there were a lot of things happening in narcotics now, but they happened because of people's experience, knowledge that they could share with other addicts that this thing was an excitable program of recovery from what? Anyone can answer that one? From the disease of addiction, total abstinence from what? Here's what we're missing when they say drugs. Mood changing, mind altering drugs. All right? The part we don't hear a lot in Narcotics Anonymous today is not our message. Our message is we, we've got total abstinence, mood changing, something, mild chemicals. Right in the basic text, yeah, it's still there. It's still in the book, all right? And that's the message you heard consistently out there when I come to Narcotics Anonymous. When I got diagnosed in 1980, when I was in a halfway home, as being manic-depressive schizophrenic, they changed the name to bipolar. I think that's what they did to it, right? Now we're, we're bipolar bears. <laughs> all right? Uh, you know, uh, I walked into a Narcotics Anonymous meeting and I was crying because the, the, the psychiatrist said I had to take medication for the rest of my life. And I heard it from the mouth of a babe, and you'd hear this in Narcotics Anonymous. I walked in there, a guy with 30 days clean looked at me and said, yeah, but you see here it says, restored to sanity. He says, you are insane. He's right. But here it says we can be restored. He said, so it's all right. And they loved me. I called my sponsor up in Memphis. See, my sponsor, I know how to recover. My, I live in Allentown, Pennsylvania. My sponsor is in Memphis, Tennessee. He taught me how to outreach. He taught me about making three or more phone calls a day to recovering addicts. Recovering addicts. Not just addicts. Recovering addicts. And then he gave me a list of phone numbers that I had to participate with. And he told me I had to participate with his sponsor, Jimmy. So I called Jimmy up. I'd call him up 2 in the morning in Eastern time get him at 11 o'clock California time, I get off the phone at 5 o'clock in the morning, get ready to go to work at the steel mill. I mean, that's how it worked for me. I would call up his sponsor, his, one of his sponsor brothers, Greg, in Oregon. All right? And that's one of the numbers again. And he gave me a couple of his people that were involved in the Jimmy family 
which was uh, Jim out in Ohio. Jim M up there in up there in eastern southeastern Ohio. Uh, and one thing these people all had in common, they were all uh, yes, they were all uh, connected to Jimmy, but the rest of them were all in the literature movement. They were all writing literature. There was an excitement at that time, and I feel propelled Narcotics Anonymous into a fast-growing fellowship, was the writing of literature. The, able to, the open participatorial committee structure, all right? And I believe that's what made us grow. I believe that's where you heard the message of hope and promise of freedom, because when I walked in, I don't believe what I walked into was Narcotics Anonymous. I don't believe you walk into an NA meeting today and there's, and there's uh, not a... And then a symbol, at least in the room. I'm talking about there was, there was five pamphlets and a white book sitting in the corner. All right? And then they had the, the other fellowship rack with their book. And, the book. and their book was on the front table. And people were drawing lines in and, and putting uh, drugs of choice in there instead. Oh, seriously. All right? You'd have one guy putting heroin, you have another guy putting methadrine, and you have another guy putting LSD, and, and that's how it worked. You know, and it never, so what you weren't getting then, you were not getting the message of hope and promise of freedom from addiction. You were getting the message of not using that chemical. Same as the other fellowship was talking about, not using a substance. And you're powerless over that substance. Not being powerless over disease concept. And that's the important thing we're doing any type of outreach, our helpline work. You get on the help, anyone on helplines? No one gets on the helpline anymore? There's someone doing it for you or something? Well, is there anyone doing it? I mean, are you participating? Are you the one doing the 12-step calls? Because I consider that outreach. See, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, and you get that call. See, the helpline used to be in my home. Okay, I got the call. I was the first-hand guy, and I'll call my sponsors up and tell them it's time to roll. You need to get out of bed because we're rolling now. <laughs> and our job is to go in and be that front person and talk to that addict and get him to an NA meeting. Our, our job is not to get him to a detox. Our job is not to get him to rehab or get him to a social counselor or get him to a psychiatrist. Our job is to get him to an NA meeting. And why? He can be 12-stepped by the group. The group does outreach. The group is the core center of Narcotics Anonymous. Your group, your home group, is the core center of narcotics anonymous. Is where the heartbeat happens. It doesn't. We do not do anything unless the home group is strong and participating and carries a strong NA message to the actual suffers. Our job is to carry the message of hope and promise of freedom wherever that addict may be. We took that literally back then. All right, literally. I met Forrest at Orkna One. That's a long time ago. All right, early 80s, I met Forrest, 83, I think, around there, just before the 14th Coast Convention. See, when I called up addicts and I told them we're suffering in Allentown, Pennsylvania, my sponsor, Joe, said, do a function, Bill. And I said, are you nuts? You got my wife, me, and another addict here. All right? And sometimes that other addict is not here because it's just her and me. And he said, do a function. They'll come. Joe, and Joe said, I'll be there. I said, well, you're up. Where are you at? He said, I'm up in uh, Oregon with Greg right now. He said, I'll hop on the bus and I'll be there. And Pittsburgh, a real strong fellowship from Pittsburgh came and outreached to us. They came and drove. We had a, so I, I got some Pittsburgh people on our agenda, had them come in and share with us, just like they're doing here. It, it was more of a convention in a church. We called them Adathons then. It was a weekend in the church. You had a, and what we did, you didn't stay in a hotel room. It didn't cost you anything except to get there. You stayed in our homes. So everyone stayed in my And at that church, they allowed me to allow people to stay in the church. And they had nice plush carpeting there. Okay, so it was real nice. They allowed us. I said, so bring your sleeping bags and stuff, and you can shower up in my house. You know, so they had all the facilities that we needed. And our group went and got the food. Well, basically, my wife and me Okay, we donated all the food and made sure everyone had food to eat that weekend. And we had the best spread around. You know, we had meals. We had, we had fresh fruit. You know, uh, we had five different types of fruit everywhere. Uh, we had the coffee pot brewing. We had 200-cup pot always brewing, fresh hazelnut beans. 
ground. You know, yeah. I mean, it was cooking. And the addicts showed up. Over 200 of them showed up. And we were just so excited. And, you know, we got enough money back, okay, through donations to pay for that food anyway. Okay, by what was I initially put it out as a donation, and then what I did is I donated the money back to the group so we get literature. But Jimmy outreached to us by sending us a $200 packet for free. When I called the office and said, we have no literature, and he sent me a packet and said, here it is. Don't worry about it. If you can't get it, you know, if you have no money, don't worry about it. And when I called him back and said, we got the money, he said, give it to somebody else. Okay? So we found other per places where they were suffering and gave them literature. Because we had the money now to get more literature, and we gave them literature instead. We found addicts who were in need of help. You know, and, and that's how outreach begins, is you personally taking responsibility and finding someone suffering somewhere and getting out and getting them in. Outreach begins at home. It does not begin at any level of service. It, belongs, it starts with your, out, your home group. Your home group responsibility is to carry a message. That's our responsibility. How many home groups sit down and talk about, you know, they'll, they'll say we're going to have a business meeting. Okay, they'll say we're going to have a business meeting. Well, well, my home group doesn't do business meetings. We do group conscience. All right, the business, the business itself takes about, well, how many, how many, how many seconds, right? Five seconds? Okay, we give a financial report. Okay, this is how much money we got. And, and, and how's the function going we're sponsoring, which is uh, uh, an as-is for, for, for narcotics anonymous function that we do every year uh, in, um, in June, which is real simple, it's self-supporting. Uh, the, the only money that goes into that function is people pay the facility and the cost of food. It costs $75 for a weekend. All right, and then all your meals are there. All right, it's all cooked by us. All right, everything's cooked by us. It's in Hamburg, PA. It's, it's a nice little big building we stay in. We got beds there and stuff. You bring your bedding with. We camp out for a weekend, and we have a function. And we do it the old way. Okay, no one worries about what they're going to eat. All right, you come there, and if, a new, if you have a newcomer, we do it the old way. But if the newcomer don't have money, don't worry about it. Bring the newcomer with you. Okay, and that's the way we did it old. You know, if you come to a function like this here, uh, back in Allentown in the mid-80s to the conference, okay, you don't have to worry about newcomers. We had, we, we, we got at least 10 rooms put aside. We got all the suites to negotiate the hotel, given we put the newcomers in the suites, and we just filled them up in there, and then we gave them the, well, then we gave them the total package. We gave them the banquet. We gave them the brunch, and then we had enough food in the hospitality room, and I'm talking about food. I'm not just talking about, okay, coffee, oranges. We had enough food in there for them. Did they go in there and eat? Yep. All right? And they had the 100 pot cups of hazelnut brewing the whole weekend. <laughs> all right? So all that stuff was there for these people to bring their newcomers so that we could outreach to their newcomers. See, how many people tell you to fill your car up with newcomers today? Hmm? See, we didn't send people to detox back then. We put them on our couch. All right? They, 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 I, I detoxed many of people on my couch. I brought them home, and, and we sat with them people. We got them to daily meetings, and we read them the book, and we did the things for them so they could do them for themselves. If they showed a desire and wanted help, we were there to help them. We didn't try to pawn them off on somebody else, and that's the difference. We didn't do that. We made sure we got them to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, and that's what we do in Narcotics Anonymous. We get them to an NA meeting. That's outreaching. And what our groups start doing, we start sponsoring other groups. We look 60 miles north, there's mapping in that section of Pennsylvania, the coal region, possible Pennsylvania, and we go take a meeting up there, and our home group would send up two, three members every week to sit in that room, twice a week, till we got that meeting functional. It took us three years, and we got that meeting off the ground. It's a whole section, and we know there's addiction there. It's in the paper there's addiction there. We found a church up there that was willing to participate. We found a, a DNA clinic that would give us a room in the basement, away from their clinic. They had a basement room. Okay, people that were willing to give us rooms up there, and at nominal fees, they left it up to us what we could donate. So we were, re not only were we responsible, our group paid for everything that happened up there. It came out of our basket. We didn't go to an area for funding. Our group funded that. It says in there, in the traditions are for who? The groups. 
So our group took this literally. It's for the group, and no money goes anywhere to the group is taken care of. So our group sponsored Pottsville, Pennsylvania. And then we went down to Sellersville, and we sponsored a meeting on Wednesday night in Sellersville, Pennsylvania. So our group had two meetings in Pottsville. We had one down in Sellersville, and they were not – they were – outreach meetings. They were not the Recovery First group. They were Recovery First sponsored meetings. And we literally took this as service to carry the message to, to areas where there was no Narcotics Anonymous. And once we got that off the ground, we went over to Phillipsburg, New Jersey, and started the meeting in Phillipsburg. And we sponsored that meeting. We took it literally as our service for group members to get involved. It's group responsibility to make sure Narcotics Anonymous exists. Not area. Area was set up to communicate, the groups could communicate together. That's all it was ever set up for. It's not set up to do the work for the group. The group is supposed to do this work. Our group sponsored an H&I meeting in a facility. Our group literally sponsored a woman's penitentiary meeting in Clinton State Penitentiary. The area didn't sponsor it. We sponsored that meeting because no one would go into it. And then it came time for the women to go. There was no women that would go in there, so I went in for three years. I went there until I could find a couple of women to take over that facility. I was responsible to the group and went back to the group, and I reported to the group on how the meeting was progressing. And that's the responsibility of outreaching to addicts no matter where they're at. Everyone likes to say it's the committee structure does this, committee structure does that, but the group is who does this type of work. And that's the important thing. We literally participated in the writing of the basic text. They sent this to us, and this book to us, and we took that literally, and we sat in our group, and we input and reviewed this here, and sent our input to the World Literature Committee, and they, as far as can tell you, sat down and cut and pasted and went through every piece of input because he was at a conference. I was at a conference, and we literally went, took every piece of input and cut and pasted it, no matter whose it was, we kept that input and valued that input. Your input was important to us. If you had the, 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 took the time out of your life to participate, we took the time to make sure we valued your input in the open participatory process. And that's what Narcotics Anonymous is about when we're outreaching. We're here to make it work, we're, to get the excitement running. The, it is, the, my life is not my life. I've not been given the life that I have because... You know, I did something great. I showed up in 1979 at the right time, at the right place, with the right people. That's all. I walked into Narcotics Anonymous, and when I said we're talking about our predecessors, it almost, I almost want to vomit a lot of times when I walk in the room, and all of a sudden, I can't, I can't be touched. Oh, you're one of my predecessors. I look at what are you talking about? I'm just an addict. The predecessors we talk about in the book are not us. They, they come from another fellowship. They come from another group before that, and they come from another group before that. Their hard-won experience is what gave us what we have today. It's a gratitude statement that we give gratitude to those that came before us and thank them. We didn't have to go through that. It was laid out for us. What wasn't laid out for us, though, was how to spiritually move this thing. All right? Because we took something. See, I like to look at it, and it's, it's in the book, but it's not written this way. I'm going to tell you my belief in this here. And why am I going to tell you this here? Because I do not believe in a threefold disease of addiction. I believe in a fourfold. And why? When it says in the basic text, the last to return to us is what? Nope. You're close. You, you, got, you got the physical, mental, and spiritual. Our emotions. Our emotional stability it used to have in their emotional sobriety. We change that to emotional stability. Our last return is emotional stability, so it takes that part and separates it from the physical, mental, and spiritual. And the last return is emotional stability. And that's the part we don't hear about Narcotics Anonymous today. We do not talk about that emotional stability. In the early 80s, we talked about getting emotional stable through the steps. Not through all other types of chemicals in Narcotics Anonymous. All right? We wrote a pamphlet here. Uh, it was approved at one time for us. I do have an approved form. 
Okay? I do, uh, yeah, Brian, I do have an approval of it. They did somehow get rid of it later. And it was for the use of medication or, co in, okay? Which it is here. All right? And it even tells you why a lot of them people, okay, that, that, that try this in Narcotics Anonymous usually don't make it. All right? It talks about alternatives to medication, first of all. We don't talk about the alternatives to medication in Narcotics Anonymous anymore. All right? Uh, preparing your doctor. We don't talk about preparing our doctors. That's an inside issue. I walk into certain NA meetings. They'll tell me it's an outside issue. It's an inside issue. Use of medication recovery. Do we got to deal with it? Bart's got to deal with it every day. He got diabetes. He has uh, high blood pressure. Okay? He lives in physical pain. So he prepares his doctor, and I'm talking about outreaching to every addict, and all these issues are inside issues where we outreach to each other in the program. His outreach is preparing his doctor that I don't want to take any pain medication that's going to alter my way of thinking, feelings, or my physical being in that sense where it's going to alter myself. I need something that's a natural thing. that So I need a natural anti-inflammatory that actually does not remove pain. What it does is attack the problem. All right? So we look for things to attack the problem in narcotics anonymous. I live in physical pain. I have, like Forrest, I have deteriorating disc. I also have a deteriorating muscle disorder, all right, that, that nearly crippled me in 87. I got injured in the steel mill. Uh, I, I had to stop working. Uh, and I had addicts to outreach to me and talk to me about these issues in Narcotics Anonymous. And I had a sponsor to call up, and he said, prepare your doctor when you go to see him. Their first thought to me was, and I got thrown out of the program six months later for this reason. You need to take these pain medications. I said, I don't do pain medications. Well, how are you going to follow our therapy program? I'll do your therapy program. And I did their therapy program until it crippled me, where I couldn't walk no longer. And then they, they said they re released me from their, their, their uh, therapy because they said I would not follow their therapy, and their, and their therapy was medication. They said, the reason I couldn't do what they wanted me to do is because, no, the reason I couldn't do what they want because of the injury, and they want to hide the injury and don't hide the injury from me because I'll do ten times as more, and I'll destroy my body. That's my mentality, obsessive compulsive behavior, and, and it goes into all areas of my life. See, and we need to educate people and outreaching to people what we're about. We're obsessive and compulsive human beings. And, and so I take the drug away, what's going to happen to me? Get me into physical training. I'll go overboard. And I did that in my addiction. I used to lift for five hours, six hours a day sometimes, lift weights in my addiction. You know, I, I just go nuts. I go to work in a steel mill, come home and lift five, six hours. You know, off on adrenaline rushes. You know, so don't tell me that pain is my indicator in telling me what I can and cannot do. So what, what I did, I found a doctor that's an opiopath. See, because my doctor, my, my sponsor helped me to find a doctor that was an opiopath who believed in natural remedies. So he, he said, ibuprofen is probably the best one, but you got to you may affect your stomach. So we need to find other issues. And, and I found a thing called Rutagrab, which is a natural inflammatory at the health food store. And what it does, it gets rid of the inflammation in the joints. So I feel a little bit better physically. And, and what that did, it took away the depression that went along with the pain. See, because what happens when you're in pain, sooner or later you start dealing with depression issues. See, and, and, and then I come in there in the Cox and Amos and we deal with the steps to deal with the depression. All right? We deal with the steps. We deal with working steps and deal with depression in this program. And that's what this program talks about. And if I'm going to be out there talking to rec you know, people who want help, I better have a message than what we're talking about. That's the clearest message I can give them. It's a clear message of Narcotics Anonymous. And, and uh, so I got involved going up and down the East Coast delivering a message of hope and promise of freedom everywhere. The East Coast conventions were an outreach effort back then. Uh, I, I chaired the fourth East Coast. My first convention was the second East Coast in Narcotics Anonymous in Trenton State where there were 300 addicts writing a book. That's what they were there basically come. They were all writing the book and they outreached to me about the Narcotics Anonymous message. And they helped me with recovery. They delivered a message of hope and promise of freedom to me. And that's the important issue. They delivered that message and I went 
elsewhere and carried that message. The home group took that responsibility and, and outreach, like I said, to all over the place. And it wasn't what we call these uh, committee structures. It was the group took the responsibility. It's the same thing the group did. We reverted back to the way we used to do things because the committee structure failed us. Our group separated itself from the committee structure because the committee structure failed us and turned into personalities and controlling and saying you can't do this and you can't do that. And I've been, in, and if you look through the, the, the 80 minutes, you'll find my name starting to pop up. Uh, in some of the literature conferences in the early 80s, you'll start seeing my name at the World Service Conference in 84 to 89. I was a World Public Information Vice Chair. That's a title. It's bullshit. It's just I did a lot of PI work. I did a lot of H&I work. I did a lot of literature work. I did a lot of outreach work. And so I end up being there. All right? And I end up there in Personality USA. All right? So all the crap that happened there didn't affect my home group, except when they started altering our literature. That's what affected the home group. You know, and, uh, this, this four-step inventory guy uh, says it's an approach to the four-step inventory guide. This is a literature work in progress. It's, it's what we put out to the fellowship for approval. They did approve this, 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 this IP. All right? This IP has issues in here. Okay? Uh, that saved my life. And uh, fear. Fear, people, insanity, police, asylums, acceptance, ridicule, honesty, accidents, spiders, heights, heart attacks. Anyone have fear of them things? It says write about them. If you have any fear of them, write about them. Right. Okay? They had other issues in here where it gets into uh, God. Anyone got fear of God? All right, has uh, sexuality issues, homosexuality, bestiality. Anyone have issues with them? I did. I wrote on them. 1984, they never disapproved this pamphlet. They removed it from the, the World Service inventory. That's all. Still approved piece of literature, Narcotics Anonymous. You can print it, distribute it, you can use it. All right? This is a four-step inventory guide I use and give to my sponsees today yet. The only four-step inventory guide I'll use. It, it had me be able to participate with your life. And I'm, I'm going to get real technical here because I come from White Town, USA, Palmerton, Pennsylvania, where it's set, it, it, it's set up by the old European discrimination. German. Polacks, Czechoslovakians, Hungarians, Russians, uh, and it gets down to my family who were mutts. Okay? We're just mutts. We're a mix. All right? And then the only colored person I ever saw in my life, and I used the word that back then, I'm going to use it. Why? Because they used it when I grew up. The colored people. And you know where you see them? Dancing on TV. And that's where you see it. You saw them on TV dancing. You know, they all did, they, they did the, the song and dance shows. You know, and that's where I first saw my first colored person was on TV, and I'm using the words of the, that I grew up with back in the 50s and early 60s, before there was all these other issues that won the United States. You know, and we separated along these lines. So I learned how to separate along the lines of, of European discrimination upon Europe's discriminating in each countries. And so it has in here discrimination. So I had to write about my discrimination issues. I had to write about the fear of participating in other addicts' life. And I remember when I ran away when I was 14 before I went to San Francisco to Haight-Ashbury. I went down northeast Philly, Germantown, I, and that's where I ended up hitchhiking. They dropped me off 2 o'clock in the morning, and this big colored lady came out, and she said, what are you doing, white boy? I looked at her, I said, what are you talking about? She said, you need to get on the bus, and you need to get on there now. She said, you know where you're at? And I looked at her like, and she said, you're a country bunkin', aren't you? And I'm out there, this woman's nuts. And she got me and took me on the bus and took me down to 69th Street Terminal in Upper Darby, PA. And she said, you don't need to be back up here. As she put me on that bus, the whole movie theater come out and it was all colored people. And I'm like, what is wrong with her? And I'm like, they're happy people. In my mind, my perception, these are happy people. I didn't know 
all the stuff that was going on at this point in my life with the, the, the freedom marches and all this stuff going on. And I didn't know about any of that stuff because I come from a little country town, and I'm going into the world. I'm running away from the pain of my father's addiction. That's controlling my life. And I'm running away to get free from this. And I'm following a guitar player named Jimi Hendrix at that point in my life. Freedom. <laughs> Freedom. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm following people that are telling me to be part of a culture of change. And I'm following that change to hate Ashbury. where I ended up. And I've ended up fully strung out in addiction. And their outreach was give me more drugs. <laughs> All right? Beat at Woodstock. Be, get, go to give me shelter. Go here. Hell's Angel picks me up and says, you're my son. You're living with me. And I just went and went and joined the United States Army in, in 1970 to get away from that. Okay? And it wasn't until I got to Narcotics Anonymous that someone outreached to me about freedom. See, uh, the word freedom, the word change that was being portrayed and still doing it today, still talking about change, didn't happen until I got here. We're the only people I realize that I believe know about real change. We know how to change within. We know how to change within and change our life and help another addict change their life and participate together as a unit. Regardless, and we know how to become faceless, sexless, colorless in these rooms. And that's what our message is. That's what we're about. Hope without dope. Okay, regardless of where we come from, where we work, and we are self-supporting declining outside contributions. We don't, we don't put taxes upon you to come in here. We're not going to look at your check and say, well, then you owe us this much. We're not going to do like some of the churches do and tell you, oh, you didn't pay your 10% this month and send us your envelopes because you're not showing up at their church. My wife still gets some today. All right, and I'm taking them, put them in the garbage can because our donations go into a basket. All right, that's where our donations go. And we choose where our money's going today. And we choose to be part of a self-supporting lifestyle and outreaching to addicts who are still suffering, carrying a mess of hope and promise of freedom. That's what we do. We choose to participate in your life. That's choice. That's, and that, that freedom from active addiction, we all know what it's about. And I don't care if you've been in prison. You know, you get some H&I fanatics think it's all about the prisoner. Okay, and that's all right. They, they belong there helping people. You get some PI people that are intelligent you know, and they set up the helplines and they do all this other stuff and they think it's all about PI. That's committee structure, right? But when it gets down to the group, the group we do it all. Right? The group does it all. The group carries the message of home out there to the addict still suffers. The group takes on the responsibility of making sure there's, there's people manning them phone lines, make sure there's people going to them institutions, make sure we're, we're sponsoring a group or finding a group out in the whatever part of Kentucky we're in right now where there is, where there is no group that we go out there and get a group started. And if we know there's an addict out there, then make them inclusive. Bring them in and make them part of us. And carry the NA message and not other people's message. Okay, that's what we're about, carrying our message. I, if, if you're carrying someone else, it used to have in there. It used to have in there, okay? In some of our old writings, and if anyone ever read some of the old writings, they're going to find out it had in there, okay, about coming here. And you may be in other fellowships, you may do this thing, and then there are questions. And then questions were, what message are you carrying? What's your problem? Where do you feel best at? That's where you need to go. And if it's not here, don't change us to fit you. Go where you need to be and leave us well alone, and we're going to leave you alone. That's the outreach message. That's what we do here. I don't care. Hey, someone wants to do a, a thousand milligrams of some type of drugs, that's all right. Let them go do it. It's not our message. We recover from addiction. And that's the message I, I received from my sponsor from Memphis, Tennessee. He told me, you don't need that shit. Here's what you need. You need to go to a meeting. You need to go to the next NA function there is, which was in Miami Beach, Florida. When I met him at the Second East Coast, he sent me to Miami. And then when I did my fourth step, he had me come out to Santa Monica and do my fourth step on the beach with him. There's reasons for his insanity to be on the beach, to have the ocean waves coming in and the sunset, and so I could see the sunset over the ocean and feel part of God. 
There was no other reason for me to be in Santa Monica with him on a beach. Why couldn't we do it in Memphis or why couldn't we do it in you know, Virginia Beach? Why do we have to be in Santa Monica under the pier? All right? But that, he wanted to know what length I'm willing to go to. He wanted to know what length. And if my phone bill went under uh, two, $300 a month, there was a problem back then. Today they made it real simple. What's your package on your cell phone cost? You don't even need a phone. I mean, a home phone. You can get one of these things, 100 bucks, unlimited calling, unlimited texting, all this other, except if you got raised phone. He got one of them expensive plans. All right? I'm, I'm a lot less with Ray when we got three, we got three phones. You know, but um, this is the most valuable tool I believe in my life I've ever had is a phone. This saved my life in the middle of the night. I got on that phone and I called another addict though. This is outreach right here. If, 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 if you have addicts with phones, tell them to use them. Call up them recovering addicts with, with, I like to say five or more years clean anymore. Back then it was a year or more. But I like to say recovering addicts that are working the steps and living the principles. A person that I can entrust my sponsee with, they can't get a hold of me that night. Okay. I, I, I used to record, okay? I know the sound of a tape. I know the lead seven seconds. Yeah, but you're still doing a backup tape. I want to trust my sponsees, okay? With people I know, if they can't get a hold of me, that they can get a hold of someone that's going to help them. All right? That's my responsibility, outreaching to my sponsees. This ain't just about outreaching, you know, to that, that group up there, but it's outreaching to my sponsees and teaching them the right way of hope. Teaching them how to carry a message of hope and promise of freedom. Teaching them how to interact with your lives. Teaching them what this program is about. That's what this is about for me. And... Uh, I want you all to look at what, we, what I put out here for you, okay? Uh, I want to go over this here thing with you uh, before, before time, okay? Uh, this here is uh, group conscience. In, in service to NA, there is one ultimate authority, a loving God that may express himself in our group conscience. What is a thing called group conscience? How does it develop? I think you all that. You know, talk about that, okay? When can we sh be sure it has been expressed? Upon what does it depend? Our basic text warns us we must constantly on guard that our decisions are truly expression of God's will. This is often a vast difference between group conscience and group opinions. Some of our most painful growing experiences have come as a result of decisions made in the name of group conscience. It seems that the gathering together of NA members to discuss and decide upon an issue does not ensure that the result will be conscience of the group and expression of ultimate authority. The limiting factors seem to be accuracy and completeness of information provided and quality of recovery or spiritual base of members involved. That's a, that's a large amount of information there to be looking at in our group to see how healthy our group is. How are you going to do outreach if we're not healthy? If we're not spiritually grown as a group and participated as a group and broke bread as a group. See, when I first got clean, what we did is we hung out in restaurants after meetings. And we sit there almost all night, and we participate with each other. We learn about each other, okay? So we can help each other. We learn about our defective character. So we were each other's eyes and ears. We took it literally what the basic text says. I mean, it's exciting to me. Group conscience is only a channel of the expression of our ultimate authority, a channel for our ultimate authority to express himself through us. The clarity of the channel is dependent upon each individual's ability to clear a channel of personal power greater than them our responsibility again there's responsibility in this we need to take that responsibility active addiction especially in the form of deceit manipulation and self-importance among participants clogs the channel and limits the ability of the group conscious to actually express an authority an ultimate authority depends on us again the more surrender faith honesty minus and humility a group shares the more recovery exhibited by a group the more accuracy the group conscience may express our ultimate authority. We must have accurate information, however, it needs to be present without bias. Also, the group must have a sufficient time for all voices to be heard. We need to allow each one of your voices to be heard. Not just one, 
And not the, the strong personality that I know I can have. But I need to listen to you and hear what you think and how you feel. And then it needs to be reconsidered and thought about and not thrown out. And, and some days it ain't time to vote. Sometimes it's time to go home and study and pray and read the book and see how it fits in with all 12 traditions before we make a decision. And we need to look at that there if we're going to outreach to people, that we're healthy when we're doing these things. And I take this literally on how I participate in the Fellowship of Narcotics Anonymous. We must have accurate information, however it needs to be present without bias. Also, the group must have sufficient time for all voices to be heard. When I talk about time, all experience shared and after a service through recovery maintained. Some may feel that this ultimate authority is all-seeing, all-knowing, that the power of a loving God expresses himself through group conscience transcends the natural reality of any lack of information and accurate information. It doesn't. You need the accurate information. You need to collect it. You need to be open for that. This may be true. However, in our honest attempts to serve through participation in a group conscience, we each use all logic, experience, and common sense we have. We, we trust the personal integrity of our servants. We expect to receive accurate, complete, unbiased, timely information from which to draw conclusions and to make decisions and name a group conscience. If your trusted servant is not doing that for you, that trusted servant needs to be removed. No, there ain't no issue there. You've not been accountable. You've not been responsible. You've been biased. Say, Levee, we'll get someone that will do that for us. It's the group's responsibility. Not, not that servant. That servant violated you. Say, say sorry. We're not going to get into your personality with it. This is what you're expected to do, say Levy. This makes extremely vulnerable to manipulation by trusted servants who lack integrity and will control the communication. I think we all know about that. Many very wrong decisions made in the name of group of conscience have been the result of manipulation in the form of incomplete, inaccurate, or, or biased information. While encouraging the members responsibility to change and grow, we should be highly critical of such actions. Telling us our responsibility again as group members. We need to be critical of that stuff in our group if we're going to grow and be able to outreach to other addicts. Our job as a group is to be responsible that when an addict walks in, what are we providing them? An atmosphere of recovery. Not getting caught up in all our bullshit. An atmosphere of recovery. When that meeting, when that door opens, not when the meeting starts, but when that door opens, the group itself should be responsible in that light that they're outreaching. The minute that addict walks in and you're bringing a newcomer in to meet us, we shouldn't have all kind of personality crap flowing around the room. We shouldn't look separated. We shouldn't be in cliques. How are we outreaching if we're in cliques? We're not. We're giving them a different message. I didn't feel, I didn't feel right when I went to the other fellowship when I first went there because of that. I felt different. That's when a guy said, I, I, I spilled more than you drank. I said, I know I don't fit here. They're discriminating against me because of my age. They're telling me I didn't do enough of this shit. I ended up in NA because of that. See, and I thanked them for that. They drove me to where I belonged. They sent me to Narcotics Anonymous that way. I kept seeking help, and I found it here. All right? So we, we don't need to become that way either, though, if we're responsible and accountable to our group and our recovery, and to make sure that this man feels comfortable when he walks into our group. I remember the first black man to walk in our home group. And John Jay was from Eastern PA, and he walked in, he's sitting there, and I watched him, he's feeling uncomfortable, feeling uncomfortable. And I, I got with him afterwards, I said, I said, you have a ride home? He said, no. I said, John, I'll get you home. And we're driving home, and I looked at him, I said, John, I looked him in the eye, I said, I stopped the car and I pulled over, I said, you may get offended by me, but I need to ask you, how's it feel to be in a white man's world? He looked at me and his jaw dropped. He said, how'd you know? I said, I can see it while you feel it sitting in our group. There's 20 of us here and we're all white and you're the only black man here. And you feel uncomfortable. Our job is to make you feel part of us. And I want you to understand, your skin color doesn't matter here, John. And we love you, brother. And, and we're not supposed to separate because of that. And then I sat in the car one night with a guy I sponsored. And I looked at him. I said, you feel uncomfortable, don't you? 
And he said, what are you talking about? I said, your, homosexu your homosexuality is getting in the road of you working with me as your sponsor. And he says, I said, you're looking at me as a sexual object, and you need to let it go. I can only help you through the steps. I love you, brother. And when I sponsored the young girl, I looked at her and told her, you need to leave go of your, uh, and become faceless with me. It doesn't tell you. It tells you to find a sponsor that works the steps. And I have the same problems as you have, my young lady. You're, you're being sexually abused in the middle of the night by family members, and I've been through it. I consider my experience of that fear and that horror of growing up in that situation. And I outreached to that young girl, and she set me free when she talked about it. And I could face my own horrors of being in, the, in my bed in the middle of the night and being molested. She set me free. We're here to remove all them barriers. And that's how we do outreach here. We remove our barriers. We, we set ourselves free to touch another addict's life. And that's what Narcotics Anonymous is about. It's about getting healthy in our groups. And group's responsibility is a grave responsibility of being a group member. When you declare yourself, and that's why we leave it up to you, and we don't put obstacles on you to participate with our group. It's not about this stuff where an addict, well, oh, you only have to have a, a desire to stop using. No, this is about joining the group. We're to remove all obstacles so you can be part of us. And we're to welcome you in to make you feel part of us. And then we're to outreach to other addicts together as a unit of love, care, and compassion, as Care NA talks about. We've got to have empathy, empathy, aren't we? We're supposed to have responsibility. We're supposed to have care. Now, what's that third, that A mean? Anyone know? Okay, we're supposed to be nameless, faceless, sexless, okay? We're supposed to be of spirit. So we're supposed to be here, of spirit together. You know, I was in my, I become a wrestling coach at a high school. I took an inner city school over because of this, this program, I could do that. And uh, I took this inner school, and, I, and the first thing I do, I, I get the kids' cell phone numbers. They come in my office. The first thing you do when you join my wrestling team, and I say my wrestling team because it is, I'm the dictator. I let every kid know you walk into this room, you have now met your dictator. I control this atmosphere here. I'll tell them that. And you have now joined hell. And these kids look at me, you're nuts. And then I tell them I want their cell phone numbers, and they start writing them down. And I look, uh, New York City, uh, Northeast Jersey, Western Jersey, Philadelphia. Where's this one? Oh, this one's from Puerto Rico. This one's from Dominican Republic. And I start looking at all these, and I say, okay, who are you living here with? So I find out who they're living with first. And then the one, the one sergeant just comes back from Iraq. He looked at me and says, hey, Dad. I'm looking, what are you talking about? He said, well, you're, you're everyone's father here, Bill. He said, you know, all these, these kids don't have fathers, and the ones that do, they're no one's teaching them about responsibility. No one's teaching them about commitment. No one's teaching them about hard work. They're not getting any discipline in their lives, and you're providing it for them. I didn't learn that where I'm at. I learned that where I came from, and that's right here. I learned that in Narcotics Anonymous. You outreach to me. You love me. You care for me. You got me involved, and I'm still involved in that, and I'm not involved in what I call the known structure anymore. I'm involved in group service, participating with other groups that want to participate in group curb service and we get together in a conference every year in June in Hamburg PA to talk about group service and about how we can better carry the message of hope and promise of freedom today. Our money goes to doing that today. Every penny that's donated to us goes to doing that today. Our meeting, here's what we have at our meeting, soda. We have diet soda, we got uh, regular soda, we got pizzas. And we actually, I mean, the members donate for the pizzas, the group pays for the sodas, and we, we, we make it like a family atmosphere when you come into the home group. All right, and our, our birthday parties, our, our celebrations, I'm not talking about Bill, I'm talking about your N.A. birthday. We have a big shindig. We have a meeting, yes. And after the meeting, we have all kind of food. We, have, we celebrate. 
we sit there and we participate together. All right? We sit there maybe two hours, three hours, some nights afterwards, and we, we're involved with each other. I don't want to hear clean time don't count. Why don't we celebrate it? You hear that from addicts a lot of times. Hey, clean time don't count. Well, it does count. Why are you having not giving them key tags out? All right? Why, why do you keep giving them up? Why do you want this person standing up and say, hey, how long are you clean today? I mean, seriously, we're, we're celebrating that. We're celebrating life here. The miracle that we've been given is a gift, and we have a responsibility in that. If you're going to help another addict, take that responsibility seriously and be involved in what we're doing. And I got involved because of people that wrote this literature, and I'm involved with them people today. I go out to see Jim in Ohio. I, I'm involved with Paige, and you'll see his name in the minutes in the early 80s where he was literature chair. I'm involved with the people that participated in what we do and taught me about recovery. And that's the only message I can carry to you is how they outreach to me and become my support network. And that's what outreach is about is being a support network to help addicts who need help. And that's all it's about. I mean, you can ask me questions. You can participate. You can look at what I have. You can get the, the flyer for our conference, our, our upcoming conference in June. All right? And come see what we're about. You can go on nahelp.org. It's a, it's a web page we have. And you can get information. You can download all this stuff I have up here. You can, you can print this here book. Okay, there. You can print the, the approval form, basic text from there. You can, you can print the old NA way, the first two years of it. Okay, when it was a fellowship approved, fellowship put together booklet, it's all on there for you. And you can read about your, your people that came before you and how they participated and read the message of hope and promise of freedom that laid the groundwork for us. And I say us because they laid the groundwork for me. They were there for me and they're the people that helped me. And I can only share that message with you. And it wasn't the service structure. It was these addicts taking a commitment to themselves and being involved and making sure I could stay clean in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And they carried the message there to me when my wife and I sat in that room. And when Joe Proctor gave me this book and gave me that four-step inventory guide and told me to work the steps or die, motherfucker. All right? See, we, we weren't soft with each other. But what we were soft with, after we, we pulled you up, we'd hug you and we'd love you and care for you and bring you back around. We didn't leave you leave with a resentment. We cared for you, and we let you know how much we love you. But he had to tell me straightforward what this was about. I mean, seriously, what is it about? You know, and I'm here to be available for you. And it says we need to be visible and available. How, much, how many of us are visible or available? Are we making excuses why we can't go to meetings today? Or making excuses why we can't hang out no more? Joe, Joe told me, all them other excuses I got, I'm not going to have them if I don't do this thing first. I'll lose all them excuses because they won't be there for me because I'll be back out there. So he said, you got the excuses, I'll help you get rid of them because if you don't get rid of them, you're going to have that. And they're going to take your excuses anyway. All right? And you'll be dying. We have a living program here called Narcotics Anonymous Recovery Program, a living program called The Steps. Thank you for allowing me to share.
What was your number again, Bill? 4 4 Love it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You get one of these? Okay. Here, then take one for a friend. At the Southern Zonal Forum two years ago, I saw a super eight film. Had Greg P. Jimmy K. out of that in a meeting. When we were approached about having a meeting at our facility, what better name? All right. And so Congratulations, our, brother. That's our Friday night meeting. So we now have a literature meeting, old school Good. literature. Good. So Good. I am a believer. You can go on this site and download all of it. Thank you very much. It's all there. It's here. Okay. You can download all of it. You get the grade book and everything off there. Is this the history? Yeah, that's a history. You can have one. Thank you. Now give me a look. Here. I want to feel the spirit. Thank you. Thank you. Love Welcome home, boy. Thank you. Need you. I'm telling y'all that. Thank you. Thank you. I'm three hours late. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I needed to leave three hours okay. ago. All right, brother. What's All right. Well, would you have gone 300 miles to get a good bag of dope? Of course. I had to go 300 miles to get a good meeting of NA. <laughs> Welcome home, brother. Go on that website. Stick in your pocket. A lot of good I didn't get a hug either. Bill, I'm Bill, too. Great. Good to it's have yours. You know Bill. Yeah. All right, good.